If you watch the 30 for 30 episode regarding Nature Boy Ric Flair and you feel like you wanted to know a little bit more, that's exactly what happened with that sit down I had with Ric Flair. We talked about stuff that he never covered in the documentary. 16 time champion. Uh, uh, maybe 21, they need to do a little research about the other five, but 16-time champion. The only, I think, two-time Hall of Famer. They re-inducted you one time, right, when you got back into it. And, uh, you know, no, I, I... went to the single and went to the, one of the four horsemen. Oh, that's right, yeah. because you guys had your crew going. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, I, I was in the Army and my friends, we partied very hard. Mm -hmm. And we thought we partied very hard. And we were so proud of it in the army to say, you know, we can last three days straight. We go to Florida, Panama City, and we can go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't need any sleep. I'm so this. And then, you know, you hear all these stories and then I watch your documentary and then I feel embarrassed to share any of my stories. I sit there and I say, wait a minute, I can never talk about yeah. what we did in the army because you took it to whole different level. I used to level. shut Panama City down. You used to shut Panama, so you know. I lost a Rolex one night there. What was it, Spinnakers and Club La Vila? Spinnakers right? and Club La Vila. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so. They're, they're still there. They are still there. Yeah. I just don't know if they're as big as they used to be, Bob, because at one Probably point, not. you remember MTV yeah. was 94, yeah. you know, the whole, they yeah. were the big clubs, seven clubs within one club, and you'd go, it's a retirement community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's I what's know. so funny, but for, you know, that season, it was great. So, Rick, before we go into uh, some of the, uh, all the different experiences. Thanks, you know, we've shared some. Mutual establishments. Yes, we have. I, you know, based on some of the conversations we were having earlier, both of us were very good boys growing up with great GPAs. And, mm -hmm. you know, apparently you had a phenomenal GPA. 1.7. 1.7. I had a 1.8. We got to send you the shirt with the 1.8 GPA, but maybe cross the 8 off and put a 7 on there for Rick. Yeah. The yeah. real numbers. So if I'm in high school with you, okay, and, and, and I'm in, You're having a good time. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get to know the story. I'm in high school with you. Your parents hated me. Really? Like, so this has been the case for a long time. Oh, yeah. Who was Ric Flair in high school? Were you already, because there's a quote you said. You said, I didn't, I didn't just want to be a man. I wanted to be the man, right? Is that in from the beginning? Yes. Oh, so that's been from the beginning, that mindset. Yeah, well, it wasn't in terms of wrestling. I just, I wanted to be the best whatever I was doing. So you were partying hardcore in high school as well, lifting weights, oh, sports, uh, well, all lifting weights, that. yeah. But I didn't start drinking until I was like 15 or 16. So you waited till 15 years old to start drinking. That's well, the way you say it. No, it's no, not no, to start no, drinking. No, 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 let me just give you the contributing factors. I'd gotten in trouble for buying you know, on liquor underage rent, okay? So, um, and got arrested. But when my parents put me in private school in Wisconsin, the drinking age was 18. So I was 15 or just 16. So, you know, within 24 hours, I had a fake ID. I was just with the law, within the law, in terms of what I had for ID. You were within <laughs> I, the law with the and ID. And every weekend I was in Madison on State Street. Now, were you, were you a big 15-year-old? Like, were you a 15-year-old that looked like he was 22? Or I was 180 when I was 15. And you were playing sports at that time? Yes, you football, wrestling, and track and field. Were you, were you good with women at 15, 16? Oh, yeah. But girls, if I tell you I'm going to be there, you run downstairs because old St. Nick isn't going to let you down. So you're in high school, you're having a good time, you come out of high school, and then you play for Minnesota. I think your GPA, you said 1.7, so that kind of didn't work out for you with grades. How did that... I, I went to Minnesota as what's called a non-predictor. In other words, I had to predict higher than a 1.7. You to, had to, to predict. To get my scholarship. Got it. And when I went freshman, we weren't, weren't eligible to play in a varsity anyway. Got it. So that, Got that it. makes me old, but. <laughs> it makes even more interesting yeah. is what it makes you. So how did, how did wrestling come about? When did that happen? I know, I know you were talking about how, you know, when you were a kid, you couldn't wait to watch wrestling channel 11, I think you said, and you would ask your dad to come and he didn't want to watch and it was just to you. He didn't really fully get it for you. You were fascinated oh, by- Oh, I call my dad to come down and watch. Yeah. Uh, but my dad took me on my birthday. So, you know, that's, that's all that mattered. That's cool. He supported it. So wrestling wasn't something that came after high school. You, you actually loved wrestling way before I loved that. it, but I never dreamed I'd be part of it. Really? So it wasn't like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grow up to be a champion wrestler and I'm gonna no, do this and- No, 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 wow. no, no, no. I was, um, Bouncing at a bar called George's in the Park. Mm -hmm. I was through with college and 
got a job at the Bouncer. There were two parts to it, the real glamorous nightclub part of it, and then there was a saloon called the Red Dog Saloon. And I had my, a stool next to a cigarette machine, and then walks this guy, and I go, I know this guy. Puts <laughs> money pulls out a pack of Marlboros, goes, sits down, orders a drink. It was Ken Patera, the world's strongest man at that time, the first guy to press 500 pounds overhead. And he came to Minneapolis, his brother, was the defensive coordinator for the Vikings for Bud Grant. The, his brother was? Yes, the people there, Carl Eller, Alan Page, all those guys, right? And Jack, that was his brother's name, had called Vern Gagne, the guy that broke me in, and Vern had agreed to sponsor Ken to prepare for the 72 Olympics. And Vern did. It. Vern did. So Vern sponsored Ken. I got to know Ken. We rented a house together. And I'm probably responsible for him not winning the gold medal. <laughs> you, you ask him, I can't. <laughs> he and I and Mike Goldberg, Bill Goldberg's brother. You know, Bill Goldberg. It's amazing how these yeah. circles are. Yeah, the lead Goldberg was in Minnesota, right? yeah. Wow. He played football. Yeah, he did. So the three of us, and Mike at that time was selling waterbeds. So we had like 10 waterbeds in the two store. Yeah. Everybody's what sleeping an in a invitation. Are you kidding? And then I was working at Abbott Northwestern Hospitals at Orderly, so nurses exit B. <laughs> Every night, just a party. What a challenge. Challenging uh, time of your life. Terrible, yeah, terrible, terrible times. So you're going through this process. You're living together. Nurses are coming in and out. You have 10 waterbeds. No, you, this is what we're preparing for the 70. Olympics. Two, uh, 72 Olympics, got it. right? Okay. In the meantime, I got married and moved into, in 1971, and moved into a double bungalow. So I settled down. Double bungalow. Um, yeah, uh, that's they call it houses, but it's a bungalow, right? Double bungalow? Yeah. Yeah. You don't hear of them anymore. No, you yeah. don't nowadays. Yeah. When I think about bungalow, I think about my high school yeah. when they said your classes in the bungalows, yeah. right? Is where so you I got married uh, that year right after. Um, right before Ken went to the Olympics. And then when Ken came back, I started training. For wrestling? For wrestling. So, so the, the things I hear about Vernon, the things I hear about him as a trainer, apparently, you know, he was a high expectation. How brutal was, like, are these stories like actual true stories, what he put you guys through? Oh, it's harder than what was depicted on so, the 30 for 30. Give us, give us a, give us a, you know, a, an average game what it looked like. 500 free squats, 200 push-ups. Forever did anything. Before he did anything. Yeah, and I weighed 300, and Ken weighed 330. I was thinking, be a wrestler, I'd just be like the crusher or the bruiser. I had no idea. Running a mile, and then two miles, I couldn't run a mile. I hadn't run one since college. And Ken Patero, God, you know, Ken wasn't ready for that. What, what Ken was smoked it? and drank all during the Olympic training. Like all, all the Russian athletes smoke and drink. I mean, you know, they don't think, you know, with all, with all the performance enhancement stuff mm -hmm. that was going on mm -hmm. back then, liquor and smoking didn't affect a weightlifter. All he had to do was go up and pick it up and, you know, throw it around. Interesting. No, that didn't, re that didn't diminish what they were doing. Sure. But it wasn't like they were running up a hill like Lance Armstrong, you know, or, you know, riding a bike up a hill. So why did you guys listen to Vernon? Like, what, how did he command, what did well, he number do to, one, he to earn your respect? He was a three-time NCAA champion at Minnesota. Okay. He played for the Packers, phenomenal athlete, and he was like a god in Minnesota. So, what did he have? What, would he lead you based on his personality or pure expectation? Here's what I need you to do. That's it. Was he was he encouraging? Was he motivating? Was he both? You can do this. Encouraging, yeah, motivating, yeah, and would not let me quit. Me not making it was not in the equation. So, was that Hollywood? The part where he slapped you in the face and he said, "Look, you know, you better get your butt in there, and come to training." Or was it that actually happened? That actually happened now, that, outside of my duplex. So duplex you, was the word I was looking for. So you wanted you were getting ready to quit. I did quit. I went home. He drove up my driveway and got me. He came to you and got you. Yeah, and so what, you quit your what's gone. What's not really accurate is he threw me out the door into my front yard. He came in and got me. They made it look like I walked out voluntarily. What <laughs> I, was your reaction when that happened? I said, I'll be there the next day. So if that doesn't happen, we don't know Nature Boy today. I am the world champion. I am your God. Yeah, probably not. Wow. Yeah. Wow, so one person 
And that moment that believed in you so much that came and said... He, he, he reinforced the idea that I had flunked out of college. Disappointed. It, it, it disappointed, you know, I don't know if he used my parents as an analogy, but I can't remember what else I had failed at. Um, who knows? So he triggered a lot of pain points. He, he came Not pain you. points at that age, but pointed out that I wasn't going to be... I wasn't going to fail on his... Turf. Turf. Wow. And you responded to it. Yep. <laughs> as painful as it was. So then afterwards, so, when, so what happens next? So now you go into wrestling and what's going on after that? Well, I started, I had my first match in 72. And so first day, I, your first wrestling match you have. How are you going into it? What are you, what's going on there? Do you remember that? No, I do remember. George Gadaski, Minneapolis. But nobody told me anything. He just said, go in there and you're going to wrestle in, you know, for 10 minutes. When you say nobody told me, no storyline, you're going to do this, no, he's going to no, do this. No winner, no loser, nothing. Wow. Yeah, that's how, Kate, that's how, how the business was back then. God. I said, what, what do you mean? You go just go in there and practice what you learn. I mean, you could, it had to be, thank God it's not on tape. It must have been <laughs> the worst match ever. Now, did you have your persona back then or no, not yet? No, no, I was just, you know, Ric Flair, you know. Got it. And when did the persona come about? After the airplane crash, 75. So what is it like being in an airplane crash? It's nothing you want to do. We were flying towards the coast, hit a headwind, beautiful day, and we lost power, both engines, 6,000 feet. 6,000 Not 1,000, but 6,000 feet. There's nothing you can do about it. You're going down. The guy's telling you we're crashing. Well, we were so heavy we couldn't glide. And we landed a mile from the runway. A St mile from the stuck runway. Stuck with the nose of the plane stuck in the... You saw it on a 30 for 30. Yeah, I did. I saw stuck it. Stuck in the railroad embankment. So that happens. And then again, that's another injury. So what's the recovery on that one? Well, first I said I would never wrestle. Then uh, I didn't have to have surgery, thank God. Oh, Dr. Johnson at Miller Clinic, um, Dave Johnson, he said... Um, you know, you might, this thing's coming together pretty good for you. You might be able to do it. And then six months later, he said, yeah, you're good to go. And I went, I am? I was kind of like, wasn't ready for that news because that meant that, you know, that in those days, it meant go. So I lost. I went from 255 to 180. 70 pounds. Yeah. Wow. So by the time I got back and was healed, I was back up to like 218, which I thought was real, like, like a... I'm like a scarecrow compared to what I used to be. How can you possibly expect woo, to be the world champion with a body like that? Them teeny weeny arms and those skinny weeny legs and that ooh so turkey looking neck. So it's amazing how you know these weights so well. Like well, I remember like, because like this thing losing 43 pounds was like, like you I, know I, I, it to look, the I look at myself weight. in those pictures like with Barkley who came to see me and yeah. He looked like a guy with a neck like a stack of diamonds. I mean, I couldn't believe it. So that happens six months out. Then you're getting back into it. You're 218. What happens next? Is this now where you're sitting there saying, I got to create my persona? No, George Scott pointed it out to me. He brought it to me and actually put it to me. On a, on a, all I had to do was figure out how to do it wrong. And then he introduced me to Olivia Walker, who was making all the rhinestone cowboy stuff. Dolly Parton, Glenn Campbell, Porter Wagner, I mean, all these people, Charles, the dancer, the entertainer. Mm -hmm. She was expensive, but I started out with that first robe, and, and then from there, I just, I yeah. felt it. And so then I got $75,000 from the airplane crash. Third of that, I had 33 and a third, I had to give it a lawyer. And with the rest of it, <laughs> what do you think I did? <laughs> what do you think? I'm gonna say you probably contributed to some companies, probably Miller Lite, Budweiser. No, I, nice went, I went and bought my first new Cadillac. You went and bought your first Cadillac? New one. Okay. I'd already bought a used one with my first $1,000 check. The first week I made $1,000, I went and bought a used Cadillac. So then you get your 50, you go buy a brand new one. So then you're... And then, so, and then probably a couple of wa watch or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so at that moment, you know, so you're going in. I, you see, I don't... The, the part 79, that I... 79. blue on blue. Wow. Yeah. You always had style? Well, I've always had taste. These $600 custom-made lizard shoes! <laughs> that exceeded my income. 
Got it. That makes sense. She's yeah. going like this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, let me, did you ever sell in your life? Did you ever sell? Like, did you have a regular job where you did sales or? Well, I sold life insurance. No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah, for a year. You really sold life insurance? Yeah, I never had my license. <laughs> I never passed the test. You sold life insurance. Yeah, for, Who were uh, you with? For, uh, for, um, for Guardian. You sold life insurance yeah, for Guardian? Yeah, what I did, my, my, number one, I sold a bunch of my friends a $10,000 policy. Actually, I just took the senior agent, he sold it. And then I sold my dad's medical firm, retirement, um, pension plan, mm -hmm, share, mm -hmm. profit sharing, all that. So I made like 40 grand my first year doing nothing. <laughs> I had no idea you sold life insurance with yeah. Guardian. And by the way, Guardian probably has no idea you sold life insurance. They're probably going to look at this and say, George Clayman sold life insurance. Northwest went on strike that wow. year. Northwest did airlines and mm -hmm. all the flight attendants were working in the bars. It's a glorious time of That's life. That's where you met a lot of your clients at the bars. Not a strip club guy. You're not a strip club guy. No. Why no, not? I have, I have not as an individual, but I have it in a group paid for hookers, hookers, to make a party better. Yeah. I've never hired a hooker, like, you know, I don't do that. One more thing, you know! Oh, darling, I like that look. They're too easy, they're too easy. So you, li you so like you like to This is not a feminist, this is not against women, but there's, there's, hey, come here, honey, I got a gold card. <laughs> what do you want? So you like the, you like the, the sale. You like the... I like, yeah, I like... You yeah. like the sale. Yeah. So you... But you I were, like them to come to me. That was the game I played. So what shift did you make to go from the point of them... I just walked in and that's when my hair was long. Pulled up everything to make sure all the jewelry was aware. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Can I buy you a drink? <laughs> Unbelievable. So, ladies has never been a problem for you, based no. on what you're saying here. Oh, okay. It's been... So... As so, a matter of fact, there have been four that ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> two wives and two agents. <laughs> so, so Rick, so you, you now, you have the story, you have this persona. So what, what's the first time you become a champion? What year was it when you became a champion? First time? First time. 1976. What are some stories that we did not hear on the documentary that maybe you experienced? Some crazy stories that you had? Because some of the stories I heard, I'm sitting, I'm listening to your stories, I'm like, Okay, this guy, they, they just told the story of he came into town, he said, I'm going to go to the bar, you go to the bar, you meet a bunch of girls, you bring them back to the hotel, then you're done, then, then you go back to the bar, then you meet some more, then you come back. These stories are being told, it's almost like a fictional comic story of a hardcore... Those hard weren't told on 30 for 30. They were told in other places oh, that yeah, you can yeah, read about. Yeah. yeah, so... So you, 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 you see all these things, but what were some, what constantly, was your life like? Constantly recruiting. You were. <laughs> so you've been a recruiter for a while. What was your recruiting line? Was it, was it this? Oh, I, didn't, was, I didn't, didn't have, have a line. Once I was on TV, I didn't have to recruit. Were you cocky? Were you arrogant? Or were you confident? Which one would you say you were? Or a little all bit three. of all, all three. So you had a little bit of all three. So you believe you are the man. Like you would say things like, I am the greatest athlete in the world. You're saying this with 100% conviction. Mm -hmm. And you believed it. The greatest athlete in the world, I, don't, I, I thought I was the greatest professional wrestler. I used to say athlete. Yes. But I can't really in all fairness, right? Back then, I probably thought I was. But I wasn't competing with Michael at that time. And then Michael had just come along. You say Michael, Michael, was in Michael Jordan at that time, like 84? Yeah, I'm saying, but I started saying it like in 81, you know what I mean? Got it. Like, I think the greatest athlete alive today is LeBron James. And I would, today I, is. Yeah. So I, you're a LeBron James fan? Oh, huge. You put him ahead of MJ? Because you see yes. both. Yes, I do. Because Rick, of, you put because, LeBron ahead of MJ. Because of height and weight. And he's ahead of Michael in every statistic. 33 in, years old. At, yeah, at his today. age. Yeah. Except for championships, which may never be duplicated. I'm surprised you, as somebody that came from that era, you would put LeBron ahead of Michael. Well, I, this is nothing against Michael, you know, but it's like, um, I love Johnny Unitas, but Johnny Unitas is not Tom Brady. So you got it. So you're purely you, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. So if right now we but play. at the same time, uh, Luke Keekley or whoever they're saying is, is not Lawrence Taylor. So there are guys from decades ago that, that are, are still, still the best the best of all time. Okay. I mean, when you can talk about football players and you're going to say the greatest football player of all time, to me, you're talking about a guy that made an entire league redefine 
what they had to do to change their game plan, their offensive line. You're talking about I'm talking about Lawrence Taylor. Well, you can watch the special on him. He just he was a beast. Everybody yeah, the only guy close to him is the guy that died prematurely, Derek Thomas, from the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, but he Derek Thomas wasn't as mean as LT. What made Taylor mean is he just. I want to tear you he's up. He's a very good friend of mine. And he's a, LT is? Yeah, he's still in great shape. He's still in great and shape. And he can still drink a bottle of Jack D. <laughs> really? Of uh, Johnny Walker Black Label. I'm talking about you, brother. <laughs> giving you a plug. So he, Johnny Walker Black Label stirred up and smoked two cigars while he's signing. Can, could, he have hung, could, could he have a hang with you and partying? Or no, you're still ahead oh, of him. Oh, yeah. Him. But oh, he, he was running for me towards the end. Okay. We used to party together. Little too much for him. You were a little too much. No, no, no. I just... Um, a couple times, I think, you know what I thought it was? I think he respected Wendy too much because he knew I was bringing Wendy. Oh, so Wendy was in the picture at this point. At this oh, yeah, point. yeah. We okay. just, we just saw him. We're, we're in Atlantic City a couple I years ago. I, I'm thinking and you're it, talking like... No, he would text me like at 11 o'clock at night. Okay, come on out. Well, he knew that I wasn't going to drag Wendy out at 11 <laughs> o'clock, right? When he worked for TNT, we went to Minneapolis. Yeah. And when he was playing for the Giants and he had LTs, uh-huh. the club in New York, uh-huh. oh, Jesus. Different story. He, 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 was, was, he was the man. He was God for a decade. Let me tell you something. With that earring. Earrings, yeah. 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 Him walking down. Like you can, I'm a huge fan, and I've met him personally, of Joe Namath. So, Rick, let me ask you. A part, you know, this is a part where we grew up as kids and we would say, I want to believe wrestling is, uh, uh, you know, real and I want to believe this. How much of wrestling, I mean, obviously I see it as a person from the outside, but how much of it was sitting down and saying, here's how we're going to do it and here's the story part and here's the storyline and this is that, what's going to happen. That, that never, how much of it was that show? That never machine? evolved until the 90s. Oh, that didn't evolve until the 90s. That didn't evolve. And would you say McMahon brought that to the game? Yes. Okay, so he brought it well, to no, the game. Well, no, I mean, everybody brought it to the game, but Vince is responsible for bringing wrestling as we know it now to where it is in, in the 80s so i'm seeing videos so, it, no but i mean like in the 70s and 80s you know i mean the, we knew who was going to win or lose but it wasn't choreographed does that make sense yes we it was talked about in the ring you go in rick you're going to win this one so go figure something out yeah with the guy got yeah, it not with a not with an agent and not not to be picked apart and you know by writers that have never been in the ring. I mean, it's kind of like I, I feel about sports announcers, okay? If they have time invested, like I love Stephen A. Smith, right? Mm-hmm. He's never played a professional sport, but he has the time invested 20 plus years in studying it, getting to understand it, knowing the players, not afraid to say what he thinks. That kind of journalist I like. A guy who's never done shit, you know what I mean? Just reaching out there, you know, and I don't, I'm not going to use any names because I know all these guys. It drives me absolutely crazy because it's like me. I, I, can't, I can't have an opinion. Do I have favorites? But how in the hell can I have an opinion, really, about a sport that I never excelled at? So you believe that. You, you come from the school of thought of you can't have an opinion if you've never played in the game and you're not experienced where you don't have the vested time. You don't have the vested time. Invested time to understand if you've been doing this for two years and you're trying to call balls and strikes, or I'm using that as an example for any sport, how can anybody that hasn't done it begin to understand Michael Phelps? Now think about that. Don Scholander would get it. Spitz would get it. Who can swim like that? So let me ask you, where are you going with this? Where you're saying, if you have never done it, you shouldn't have an opinion about it. Is this the people that were making comments about wrestling, but they were not involved in a life to know? That's what I you're was saying. saying. I was circling around so back I to wrestling. I want to hear your thoughts about that. Because, you know, you, there's a lot of criticism. You'd be on shows and people would say, this is fake. How could you say it's not fake? You guys don't do this. And you're like, this blood is, I remember that one scene, you're like, this is real blood. There's a scene that you're doing that. This mm-hmm. is real blood. I'm not faking this. Talk about the athlete, the sports aspect of wrestling that you guys did that maybe the fans are like, oh, it's just a show. That's all it is. I can name 10 football players that have tried to make it and didn't make it a week. 10 football players, NFL players that couldn't make it for a week mm-hmm. because of the level of difficulty. Give me three examples. Walter Johnson, the Mars man. Uh, who I helped train, the kid from the Oakland Raiders, the Myers man, what was his name? Otis Sistrunk. And then the guy that played Ernie Holmes from the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mm -hmm. 
We thought he was a real badass. So they come in, they tried, and then what was the Those part? Those three guys, that, all, all three of them are all pros. But what, what made them want to say, I can't do this, this isn't for me? Because they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle what part of it? The physical aspect of it and being afraid. Mad Dog Rashawn looked at Orsett Trunk and said, I'm going to chew you up. Truly being afraid? Yeah. I mean, these guys played NFL, other people are getting in their face and I'm going to kill you today. On the in the field, and they're still being afraid in that in that world. Of I didn't say all of you. you said give me some of three yeah, examples. Sure. So so how about the physical side of it? I mean, you're you're dropping yourself from the top on the table and all this People stuff. People don't get that. What happens to your back? I mean, the pain. What you, you know? I, I never I've never had any of that. I've never incurred that. And it's the grace of God. And when I talk about it, I take it really serious because all my friends, every one of them, hips, knees. Back issues, I have been able. To escape that for some some reason, I don't know how. I'm never going to be the guy that, because of my past, that could go out and say, I can't push God in on you, mm -hmm. but I am sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has played a big role in my life. Because of my past, I can't go, I could never write a book. I could never lecture to you about moral. How, who am I? You know, I've had the lifetime scared, but the plane didn't scare me. I've always, you know, I mean, I went to church and my parents, I've been, what's the word? Um, Confirmation. Huh? Yeah, I've been confirmed, I mean, all that. And I've always believed in God, but I always, I didn't think about him when I should have in my life until this time. What what age was that when you said this time? When you say now I'm thinking about this God last, more like recent, I mean, I, recent. I, I, I'll give you an example. Because I say it to myself every day. I would say, God, I'll never do this again. The same day I said it to myself and to him, I did it. <laughs> to God, the truth. I, I I say my prayers at night now. I say to him, I know you've heard this a thousand times, but I'm through screwing around. I'm through doing anything bad. When's the last time you had a drink? Uh, the day I went to the hospital. Really? That's the last time? Yeah, not even close. So how long ago is that? That's Seven months. Wow, and seven months for you. You haven't done seven months since you were 14. I have, I have never done seven months. Oh, yeah, no, I did for a year. People don't realize, I quit for a year because I was dying. Diagnosed with um, uh, my, my, my atopathy, heart, whatever it was. Rick. But I'm talking about my behavior and misconduct. Sure. I, and not as much as drinking. I mean, drinking, I just was wild with women. Is the number accurate? I mean, you hear Will Chamberlain says, t you know, 20, Warren Betty's 15, you know, Gene well, says I don't five, know you said 10,000. But I just. You partied that hard to go through 10,000 women is what, you know, like, you know, that's. I mean, you, well, I don't know if it's 10,000. Got it. But if I told you 500, you'd say, bullshit. I'm not changing my lifestyle. I'm four or five women every day of my life. I don't know, 500, you know, a year is 365 days. If you're yeah, touring all the yeah. time, you know, you just got to do, do the math do, that do, way. Do, do 44 years on the road. <laughs> That's how you come up with it. Give me a break. <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> I got, I, I'm the, I got married in Canada, in Niagara Falls, and divorced in Niagara Falls on one weekend. <laughs> Just to make the chick happy. <laughs> remember, girls, remember when Ric Flair's in town, showtime. Woo! But I want to know, like, you know, talk about the, like, because you said something. You said, I never drank by myself. Never. You, you, so this wasn't well, she like. She could ask Wendy. Yeah. I never sit home here and drink. It was more you like the I like social. That, yeah. Got it. But got it. at the same time, if the bartender likes sports, right, I can become friends with everybody in five minutes. Ask Wendy. The reason that happens is because I'll walk into a bar and I'll ask someone to put on sports as opposed to network news, which would depress the world. I mean, who will watch it? I mean, <laughs> why do people watch it? You've I mean, never liked it. Oh, never. Really? So you and never liked politics? I used to love Bill O'Reilly, but after his report on the Benoit situation, I knew that he was full of shit. When Benoit, Chris Benoit passed, yes, and they gave in all these people that failed in wrestling, 
and then ran to his show and ran to Nancy Grace. Nancy Grace, she's out here by the way. Nancy Grace is a local, she lives a- I guess, She's in Atlanta. Yeah, Yeah. well, I I was embarrassed for them, taking the word of people that had a a difficult experience with wrestling. Mm -hmm. And so they just jumped on the bandwagon to try and hurt us who were in the sport, to try and hurt people like the McMahons or Mm -hmm. the Crockett's or Mm -hmm. Ted Turner. It was just bullshit. So you still defend your community. It's, it's a, you're, you're a very big defender of your community. doesn't matter whether it's NWA, WWE, WWF, all of wrestling. You're a big ambassador for your community. I certainly am. What would you say McMahon did to your world? You want, you'll just start from the beginning? Yeah. Okay, in 1992, I owed the IRS 230 grand. I was in Tokyo. I couldn't sleep. I was drinking myself to death. I called him. I said, can I have 230 grand? He said, yeah. I paid the IRS, 1992, right? With over the, my divorce, there's been some other things, but I mean, he's never left my side. I mean, he and I, and it really came to surface how close we are when I um, was sick. Vince McMahon FaceTimed me and talked to me and called Wendy every day. This is a guy that needs me. Like he did all holy. Does that make sense? Wow. I didn't bring him anything except a lot of talent and I was easy to get along with. But I didn't come to him all. I was 40 years old. What if I'd gone when I was 30, right? But that would change the course of history. When I was getting divorced in 2005, he lent me $800,000 in increments over a three-year period to pay the lawyer, pay my ex-wife to live. He said, I have, I said, I wouldn't lend my own son this damn money. Mm. And then he called me and said, if you want to go upside down, I won't hold it against you. But I paid him back every time. Are you kidding me? So I'll pat myself on the back for that. But it was rough, because phantom income you still got to pay taxes on it. That makes sense? Of course. So 800 but, is like 1.5. But, but to have this guy. Sorry to explain. To have this guy call Wendy every day and check on me. And the first time I saw him, he had tears in his eyes too. What's up with that? I wish you a Merry Christmas. He said, hell, you're not even supposed to be here this Christmas. I've asked him over the years. I said, he knew I had self-confidence problems. And that's why Hunter and I right now are best friends. Every time he used to pull me aside and say, you can do this. I mean, here I am wrestling in my 50s against a guy that's 24 years old. And I couldn't get, I could still do it physically, but here I had lost my self-confidence. You physically can do this, mentally, you're gonna fucking do it. Excuse me, I know you can't use that word. That's all right. And that's why, I mean, Hunter's my best friend. You could tell when he talks about you, like he, you could see it in the eyes, yeah. he loves you. And this is the guy that, he has got so much on his plate, you know, he's being taught to be the next guy. He runs NXT. Mm-hmm. He's an ambassador. He and Stephanie travel around the world. I've seen their schedules representing the company. I mean, they don't just sit in a chair and push buttons and delegate authority. They're, they are him. Vince, he, it, the, the hardest thing I would have to say I've seen over the years is him delegating authority. He, and, but that's who he is, and that's, it's worked out for him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Very few people does he trust, but when he does, he'll ride it out with you. Oh, I didn't mean it gets so emotional, but I think about it, I go, why? Why would he give a shit about me? It says, a lot, it says a lot about him, and it says a lot about you. Because we've had some terrible arguments, you know. Ooh. 
nothing, nothing that was a deal breaker, but he's, you know, he's lit my ass up. I shouldn't say we've had some terrible arguments. He has fucking lit my, he has lit my ass up. I, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to imply that I argued back. I listened, but he's always been there. And um, so if you look at my foundation of my two daughters and I and Wendy, it's like my triangle. You know, Wendy being the point, and my two daughters being just, and then to be able to fall back on the company that I've been with. You know, I was never their biggest star. I mean, I was never Austin or Hulk or The Rock uh, or Hunter or Sean, you know, because I just came in, you know, I mean, I was in my 50s the last time I came mm -hmm. back, right? Mm -hmm. But they made me a part of it and gave me an opportunity. And, you know, Hunter and Vince and Stephanie too. I mean, I mean, Stephanie's very close. I've, I'm sure they also know that you have a very loyal, devout following. People love you. When, you, when we see you in your element, it's like, it's like Michael on a basketball court. Like you are in your element. You are where you belong. Oh no, they recognize that. I mean, it's like last year when Hunter, when they immortalized me and gave me that huge statue. There are certain talent that come along, million and one, not only inspire people in their chosen field, but they inspire generations. And there's certain ways that you immortalize people. They will erect statues in your honor. So with all the respect that he deserves, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, everything Hunter said, I'm sitting there listening to this, and this is when you don't think that they realize what you've done, that this guy who doesn't, he's not really a sports fanatic like I am. Hunter's not. Hunter's not. I mean, do, do, do they watch the Super Bowl and stuff like that? But but he was like doing my, a, a resume on stuff I've done with sporting teams and with the rap industry. And, and I, then I said, God, he does know what I do. He doesn't just text me every day, man, way to go, like with Offset and that. But when you sit, if I sit down with him, he's there. That's amazing. Let's get back on the lighter side here. <laughs> so I was in Florida for all week, Monday, West Palm, Tuesday, Tampa. This is recent or? No, it's in the 80s. Okay, yeah. The trip that yeah. people know the story. So drinking, and when I was in Florida territory, I was the happiest, I mean, every night. Drink, party, Tampa, Miami. So <laughs> Miami's a very healthy city for partying. Huh? Miami's a healthy city to party. So is Tampa. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, you're shitting me. I, I was Monday. I was in West Palm. See, I, what I would do? I would go territory to territory. So I would end up on Sunday and fly to the next territory and start their week out. End up on Sunday, fly to the next territory. So Florida territory was Monday, West Palm. So I'd fly to West Palm, ride back to Tampa. Tampa was Tuesday night, big party afterwards. Wednesday was my was TV in Tampa, and then fly down to Miami for Miami, stay overnight in Miami, fly back the next day. Then you could be in Jacksonville, Sarasota, somewhere like that. Friday would be a, a local, like Lakeland, something like that, right? Saturday would be St. Pete, the Bayfront Center, biggest show, right, mm -hmm. huge. And then Sunday was always Orlando. So after a week of drinking and partying all week long, I'd wrestled Butch Reed in a cage match. And, I, you know, and I'd been thinking about it all week. It was wearing on me that I had to go to Japan. And I knew when I got there, I had to wrestle three one-hour matches in a row with, this, with guys I didn't get along with. I mean, I didn't have chemistry with. I got along with them, but wrestling in the 80s was chemistry. A different. No, no, it was in Japan. Those guys were trying to always impress us. And one of the guys was an Olympic and so he would just rag down me. So I wasn't looking forward to it. So my heart was like racing. So I called my dad from a payphone. I said, Dad, <laughs> woke him up in, like in the middle of the night. I said, my heart's beating real fast. He said, when was the last time you went to bed? And I said, I don't know. He said, get some sleep, you'll be all right. So I, I, I flew from Tampa to Chicago and I got a number four and I drank all the way to Tokyo, all the way. That's when flight attendants were fun, so it was, you know, it was a party. <laughs> when I got there, I was so cracked. 
Back then, you had the paper ticket, right? <laughs> said to the guy, how do you get back to the United States? He said, well, there's a flight going to Seattle, leaves in 45 minutes. Connects in Seattle to Chicago to Charlotte. <laughs> I said, I'm on it. Meanwhile, I can hear the promoter's wife, Matoka, Rick Flair's son, report to basically whatever, right? Shit, I just stayed there and drank in the bar, got on the plane, sat down next to a guy, <laughs> and never forget this. And they go, can I talk to you? <laughs> he said, yeah, well, that's when people didn't have computers and, you know, phones and people were people drinking yeah. and having fun, right? So this guy and I got hammered in Seattle. And, and I, I had a nervous breakdown, I'm sure of it. I told, I told him what was up, but he, he's going, yeah. So long story short, I went back to Chicago, flew to Chicago, flew home, I got off the plane, and my wife and Jimmy Crockett were there, the promoter, and I, he, we got back on the plane, I had to go all the way back to Tokyo. And we drank all the way till five hours out of Tokyo. Wow. Drank again with the Crockett, right? I fell asleep, got up, made the arena, wrestled an hour, felt great. Once I broke a sweat, I was going to go next It's easy. Went to Shinjuku to the hot baths. <laughs> Shinjuku is a, is a crime part of, uh, used to be of uh, Tokyo. Got the royal treatment, the, the bath, and all the stuff that goes with it. So I was back in my, but that guy sent me a Christmas card for five years. He sent you a Christmas card for five years. I can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're doing better. I'll, I'll never forget this journey. He goes, I see you're getting more, he said, I see you're getting more famous. How many, how many millions of miles did you fly? Did you, do you actually know the number? Well, I, I have three million with Delta right now. Okay, I probably had two million with US Air. Oh no, over two million, God. Eastern, I had a million over 1.5 when they went down. And I don't know how many I had with Northwest. That's six and a half million already, just yeah. those three. Yeah. So you think you cracked 10 million miles? I don't know if 10 million, but I've certainly cracked uh, five or six, you know, I mean, yeah, easy. That's, that's, that's a lot of miles. Yeah. So Rick, two items I'd like to go through with you here is, so you, you know, so the day I watched the documentary, the 3430, Mm -hmm. I'm watching the documentary. You say something at the end with your, about your son. So I'm at Nordstrom's. I'm talking to this lady. My son is with me. My, my four-year-old son is in my lap and he's doing all this stuff and he's just jumping all over the place. And this lady, probably in her late 50s, early 60s, she looks at us, she smiles. I said, oh, so, you know, what's his name, Dylan? You're the typical conversation. I said, give me some advice on parenting. She says, your kids need a parent, not a best friend. Mm -hmm. And I said, Interesting. Okay. I heard that maybe once before. Um, so you kid need a parent, not a best friend. And then I watch your documentary. And then you say, you know, I wish I was a parent, not a best friend. When you say that, what do you mean by that when you're saying that? I'm curious myself. I'm gonna, I think that I was great for my two older kids are the ones that suffered. I never saw them. Um, as a result of that, in combination of other things, my son and I don't even talk, partially because of the wrestling business, partially because I think he's felt like I wasn't there for him, that it didn't affect my relationship with my oldest daughter, who is fabulous and doing great, and my youngest daughter, of course. What happened with them is that when the trials and tribulations of WCW, where they were trying to get rid of me, fired me for a year, that I had 10 gold gyms at that time. So I had a supplementary income. So I got to spend a ton of time. They were my hobbies, they were my life. I took Reed to Tokyo. I took Reed to Europe. I took the kids to Hawaii. I took Ashley to Australia, to England, to Ireland, and all over the, you know, once she committed to a college, because I was up their ass, up their butt. They were both great athletes. Ashley, you know, to me right now, to this day, is the best athlete in the WWE, not just a woman. And if you were going to do that, somebody said one day, well, how do you measure that? I mean, you can run, you can play like five sports. Tell me how you want to measure, you know, who can jump the highest. I mean, but I give myself, I saw that in Ashley 
And you know, at, at the time she used to hate me, but I had both a personal trainer, her at probably about 10, because I saw the gift. 10 years old? Probably 10, she started personal training. As she got in high school, I, mean, I was spending like, um, for both of them about four or 5,000 a month because they trained separately. Different sports, different things, right? No. And then of course I traveled with them both. I took, Ashley was volleyball, right? So, you know, someone said to me, well, the best volleyball is in California. Really? <laughs> Nebraska, <laughs> she hated right? me. No, back then it was Pepperdine and all those. And so, <laughs> I said, we're gonna, we're gonna go to a camp in California. I don't wanna go. Okay, I'll, if you go, I'll take you to Rodeo Drive. I'll go. So she, <laughs> but she hated the camp because everybody out there at that camp was as good as her, mm. if not better. She'd never seen that. So the only way to test a child, you know, I'm using sports as an example, sure. but I'm sure if you're a pianist, if your son's a musician, if your son is, it, it excels at anything, you want to test him against, if, if you're a competitive parent, test them against the best. I mean, they, if, they, if they want to grow and become better, you gotta find the competition, no matter what it is. Music, sports, whatever, you right? You gotta find the competition for them. Yeah, it's, don't, it's the only way they can measure, you ever get an accurate measurement of where they're gonna go. So, I have gumbo travel. Then I had, I, his wrestling coach knew how to look on a computer and see where my son was ranked. There was a kid in Dayton, Ohio. We go to Dayton, we go to Columbus, we go, to, or we go to Reno, we go to Texas, we go to Iowa. The Tulsa Nationals, toughest wrestling tournament. He got killed the first time I came away and said, this shit don't work. So the kid was running around like, it, it, but the kids were drinking Rip Fuel, which I used to sell at my gyms. You know, it used to be bigger than the 90s. A 12 year old kid on Rip Fuel. That's, that's <laughs> craziness. I was watching this kid jumping around a mat going, what's he on, man? <laughs> In three years, he won it, and he won it twice. I wouldn't take no for an answer. And he, you know, I had it in his mind, you can beat these kids. Then of course, the second thing he had to deal with was black athletes mature faster. Hair under their arms, he was already down 2-0. If a black kid had two had hair under his arms, he, he was down two points already until he figured out that he could match the kid for strength. I mean, and that, that's, that's what told him. So anyway, getting back to commitment. I spent so much time with them being their friend because I wanted to talk to them in a voice of making them understand that if you have an opportunity to be great at something, don't throw it away. I wasn't giving them advice about religion. I wasn't giving them advice. Well, smoking and drinking, that's what threw me off with Reed. That was automatic, you know, but that, that anything I said about, about smoking or drinking, that was counterproductive. He, he, that didn't file with him. With her, of course, it did. Anyway, I just was so close to Reed, I just couldn't get, I mean, I would get so upset. I mean, no marriage, I can tell you, I will say this to anybody that's got a child with those kind of issues that goes on for a number of years, no marriage can survive it. Even if Beth and I weren't divorced, when we couldn't find him for five days, it drives you crazy. I mean, it does. I mean, you can't find your kid for five days, and it, once, a couple times, it was five days. He'd be up in some house with three or four friends. Then I have to hire a private eye. The police go find him. Oh yeah. When they, when How they, old is he at that time when he's gone for five days? 15. Wow. 16. And then I put him in private school, which I found out was, like for me, I should have thought, well, look what it turned you into a wild man because you think you're supervised, but you're not. You're paying all this tuition and he was at the most prestigious wrestling school in the country, but there were some Outlaws there, right? Mm. And you know, the first I got a phone. I'm pulling up to wrestle at the Meadowlands. I get a phone call from the dean of students, and Reed had tested positive for cocaine. I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "I said where?" He went to a Guns N' Roses concert with one of his roommates, which I gave him permission to do in the school. So they they, they sent him home for two weeks, but they because it wasn't on campus, they let him come back. But you know, I said to myself, "Boy, this is what I went through." I really started drinking when I went away to school and had that phony ID. Mm. So of course, drugs weren't in my, in my lifetime or weren't in my 
mind, you know. Chemicals, I've never had, you know, I'm a weeder guy. Um, thank God. So then we started dealing with it, and it got worse and worse and worse. Beyond, he was on life support four different times. Now I've been on it once, right? I know I'm older and everything else, but I feel like if I was younger, it would have even impacted me more. Because I would say, God, I have all this ahead of me. Heroin's got to be it. I watch TV shows where I see these guys shoot themselves with mm-hmm. heroin. I never saw them like that, but if that's what it did to him, I just should have. I brought him back from Japan. He was doing great. And Wendy and I, and a friend of mine that owns 35 Pizza Hut's um, successful bit, we're watching the NCAA tournament basketball, and he went back, went to lay down. And Wendy went back, and she was tired, and I was watching it with my friend Mac Patterson. I went back in the room, and there he was. He was uh, sitting there on the floor. And I've seen him like this a thousand times, and I said to myself, well, do I call the cops? Or just, you know, or is he just, I didn't see any needles or anything. So, and I'd seen him like this, you know, how many times? So I laid him down, and he was talking to me, everything fine. So I figured, uh, I just was so mad. He'd been home a day, or two days, and, um, so what I'm saying about being a parent is that, you know, hands-on, I, 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 I don't know if dealing with them more harshly would have made a difference because every time I put him in a place, he figured it out. If a counselor would tell me he's not going to be able to use a phone for a month, I would get a call that day from him. And I would say, where'd you get a phone? Well, the counselor's a big fan of your dad. Not the guy that I talked to, but the counselor. So you don't get to meet the whole staff, mm. you check in. Mm-hmm. He was in uh, Sierra Tucson, one of the most famous clinics in the world. And when he was leaving to fly to Jay Walker, because he lost use of his leg, not totally, but partial use of his leg, after Tucson, he was going to a place called Jay Walker by Aspen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where he climbed the mountains and all that, right? He didn't show up at the airport. He went and met a girl that he had been sleeping with the whole time he was in rehab. I couldn't find her for two days. He wow. called me and said, Dad, I needed a break before I go check in again. <laughs> the way he talked to me. I said, where have you been, right? Dad, I needed a break, man. I couldn't just tackle this again. It was rough. And then I come to find out that my wife knew that he was dating a girl or seeing the girl because they had lunch together when she went to visit him. As a parent... I obviously failed um, in regards to that. I don't know. I think it's a. I think it's a miracle, and I'm so happy for the guys that have made it. But when you're gone from home 300 days a year, and um, you don't have children, and let's say you're single, the girls can go out with their friends. The guys can go out. It's not like it used to be. The, the guys now are on a much more level playing field. They understand the restrictions in the importance of social media and not hanging out, but you're still gone. I can see that even With back me, then. I couldn't wait to be gone because I loved going to work. To wrap it up, I mean, look, honestly, I can ask you questions and I'm really enjoying the conversation. We can, well, you got so many stories. It's- Actually, I'm not going anywhere. Where did this hip hop stuff come about? You did a couple hip hop videos, you know, you know, one of them just got 7.8 million views on the last, I think, four days, you know. Rick yeah. Flair and another one's 160 million views, 180 million views uh, that I saw on YouTube. So how did that come about? Well, they like to bling, you know, like uh, um, Snoop told me I was bling before bling was bling, right? So <laughs> I never thought of it back then. Snoop said he got his showmanship from you. Yeah, well, I, I, thank you, Snoop. I love him. No, we've been, you know... Not like where we talk every day, but we text, you know, like once every couple of weeks. And like, I mean, he's like, <laughs> he's iconic. Until we inducted him in the Hall of Fame, I knew that he was big time. But I didn't realize the impact that he's had on other musicians and in music in general until they read his resume. You talk about, you talk about Snoop. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. He's impacted a lot of people's lives. He's a legit rapper. Yes, I mean, gifted, yeah, yeah. gifted rapper. Yeah, no, he and I text, and uh, you know, Rick Ross has done music with my name, and uh, Flo Rida, I mean, all these guys. And then 
the offset people reached out to my friend Cam Fordham, um, who does stuff with Waka Flocka and some other guys, and uh, they um, called me and I said, yeah, and boy, yeah, he is phenomenal. And he lives the life boy. <laughs> I pulled up in that driveway, two yeah. Rolls Royces and a Lamborghini. I saw, that. I saw That's that. That's not even his crib. That's just a rental joint. Is that in local here or yeah. is it it's yeah. in Atlanta? We shot it here in Atlanta. Yeah, you, you, you what could. A great, and he gives me this for a gift. Have you seen his? No. His is three times the size of this. Really? Yeah. Did that Cardi B bought him? Yeah. 75 grand. He had this made for me. Is it the same guy that made it from LA? Yeah, Waffy. Waffy. He's yeah. from here, Atlanta. So, and you got some more exciting projects that are coming up. I know we can't talk about the movie. They're about to launch it here. The press release is going to come out, which is going to be good mm -hmm. with a feature with you. I can't wait for that one. You think that'll fly? I, I think your story is going to fly 100%. Well, if anybody's going to tell stories, factual stories about partying that has experience, yeah. it's going to be, you have moral authority in that area. I mean, you know, you probably I, watch Hangover and you're like, yeah, and I was a weekend once I had like that until <laughs> you're like, that's nothing. Well, you okay. see, the thing that I, exonerates me from all from that light is drugs. I can tell you that I had more fun in Vegas and those guys in one night than they had in the weekend. A couple times, but without drugs. See, that that's a big difference, a defining barrier in waking up one day and, and having not remember everything. I might not remember everything, like, but I never never touched drugs. No, that just and I and I would be really really upset. One guy drugged me one time, and I got in some trouble. But I'm not gonna. I can't bring it up because of, it was. I I did. You got upset at him. No, I got in legal trouble. Oh, okay, got because it. Because of conduct that wasn't me. Got I didn't it. Even know about it. Got it. I just don't do that. Someone did it to one of my daughters. Oh, I, I don't even know. What I, did you do to him? I can't imagine someone abusing my daughter under the influence. I just can't even continue. You've got a daughter. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's just, but I mean, I was, I'm just going to tell you one more thing. I, I got to make this, I feel like we got two down, <laughs> me and Roddy Piper, right? This is what the impact our business had in the 80s. So we're coming back from Tokyo, number three, Northwest. How many times you go to Tokyo, by the way? So like I've been 70, 72 times. Wow. Yeah, in my career. So, <laughs> we're coming back. <clears throat> I have to wrestle in St. Louis that night. So the champion said first class, and I was with Roddy Piper and Dick Slater. So we're flying back, and of course, the robe was the greatest of all time. Hey, can we see the robe? Yeah, okay. I don't, you know, my, my line was, well, I'll, I gotta wear it for you to really appreciate it. <laughs> if I don't wear it with clothes, oh, it's okay, you know. <laughs> so we landed in Chicago. All three of the flight attendants, the first class cabin were married. <laughs> they all went with us to go home. One lived in Florida, one lived in Milwaukee, one lived in Chicago. They just all called and said they were going to go on another flight and went with us. <laughs> and then you guys went and visited the local bookstores. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to St. Books. Louis, <laughs> yeah. to East St. Louis, and just kept the party going. Then the next night I wrestled, no wonder I lost. <laughs> How do you remember all of these stories? Oh, I mean, yeah, you have no idea. So let me ask you. That's that, about when I was a lifeguard. <laughs> a WSI instructor teaching little kids how to swim, and their mothers were teaching me how to be Ric Flair at night. When is the movie coming out, Rick? When is the movie of Ric Flair coming uh, out? And one of the mothers had a nervous breakdown and went to her doctor to tell her about me. And guess who her, doc guess who her, her doctor was? Who? My dad's partner. <laughs> So my dad calls me and says, I'm bringing you home. <laughs> Don't ask me any questions. I had to go down and apologize to her husband. Oh my God. I was <laughs> 16 years old and she was 33. That's in my first book. You must I, have been a hell of a lifeguard. I, yeah, I was the best. I love working with kids, teaching them how to swim. So, and, and now, and now you got a suit line coming out. Yes, sir. Right? You got a suit line coming out. Tell us about the suit line. I know you got some things you're working on. Uh, well, it's the a company that has been very successful without me, as we talked about off camera, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. approached me about a line. We're going to call it the styling profiling, which was um, a phrase. Appropriate. That, yeah, appropriate yes. from my a phrase I used mm -hmm. in my youth. The response has been huge. 
once again knocking on wood and thanking people for giving me the opportunity. But it seems funny at my age that the opportunities are just coming more and more. It's great to see you. Thank Brother, you. truly Thank you. Uh, an incredible story. Lots of respect to you for you being uh, willing to open up and share your different life experiences, some of the madness, some of the craziness that you've had. And you got some clothing stuff as well out there that people wear your line. I notice every, a lot of Rick people Flair wear com, yeah. Lick, very RickFlairShop.com. Yes. RickFlairShop.com. Brother, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Please. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bidavid. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.